Good morning, friends. How are we? I think it's the first time I've preached to you. Um, Keep the passage open. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Um, First, I'm going to start with a story. It's the story of a lady called Mariam. Mariam's family um, were Pentecostal Christians in a country called Eritrea in North Africa. Now, being a Pentecostal Christian is not an approved religious group in that country. So when she was 14, one day her parents just disappeared. Her aunt, who's also Pentecostal, realized the danger to herself and Mariam, and they fled across the border to Ethiopia. However, they were not welcome there. They're not welcome there because there was a war between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and the lingering tension meant that people from Eritrea had experienced, were ex- experienced suspicion and, and prejudice. So what they had to do was they had to leave Ethiopia, and they took a perilous journey from Ethiopia to Libya. This torturous trip was more than 2,000 miles. They crossed the Saharan Desert through IHIS-held territory and finally arrived in Libya. They then paid traffickers thousands of pounds for a passage on a boat to Europe. Marion was so scared, she'd never seen that much water in one place. It was black. And sadly, on the journey across the Mediterranean, a storm hit and Mariam's aunt fell overboard and drowned. Mariam now was alone. Arriving in Greece, a Catholic church took her in as they had a program for children under 18. However, when she turned 18, support from the church stopped and she had to find somewhere to live and to get a job. It was really hard because, as we all know, the Greek economy isn't in a great place. She couldn't find anything worthwhile to do at all except some casual jobs. But she's ambitious. She wants to be a nurse. And she's decided to try and go to the UK. She'd heard the UK's economy was in better shape and she might eventually be able to become a nurse if she got here. So saving all the money she had and what she had left over from the trip across the Med, she paid traffickers to get her to the UK. From Greece to the UK involved six trucks, one of which was refrigerated and she almost froze to death. Another had chemicals in it and her skin has never been the same. She eventually made it to the UK and claimed asylum and she was placed in Norwich for a time. This is based on a true story. Not the lady's name, but it's based on her story. And there are lots of stories like Mariam in Norwich. When I think of the challenges in the current political debate and the debate over the past few years about the whole issue of migration is that people that are seeking asylum from persecution have been put together with the free movement of people across Europe and within Europe. Additionally, the negative sides of the debate have been fueled as a result of the horrible terrorist incidents that have happened in France and Germany and the UK. And also, sadly, misinformation about the benefits that asylum seekers get. As followers of Jesus, how should we respond 
and think about refugees? And what can we learn from Jesus' own experience? If you don't mind, I'll start with the last question first. So let's look to the passage. In the context of this passage, okay, it happens just after the first Christmas when God humbles himself and becomes human. Jesus the Christ is born. At the time, Judea is ruled by King Herod. The Romans appointed Herod as king of Judea in 37 BC. Historians agree that in many respects, Herod had a hugely successful reign. He increased the land he governed, reconstructed the Jewish temple, and built the port of Caesarea. All this work earned him the title Herodus Magnus, or Herod the Great. However, as well as being an efficient ruler, he was also really cruel, sustaining his power through astute but ruthless diplomacy and armed force backed by Rome. In fact, he murdered three of his own sons, who he feared might attempt to take over his kingdom. Herod didn't want any threats to his rule. So when the Magi came from the east, which is the passage we're looking at, and they come and tell him, we're looking for the one born the king of the Jews, he was really exercised. The Romans had given him the title king of the Jews because of the Jewish population that he ruled. Who is this king. He was not only disturbed, but if you look in 2.3, it says the whole of Jerusalem was agitated. In response, Herod plays it quite coolly. If you look at verse 4, he calls the religious leaders together and he just checks to see um, whether what the, the Magi are saying is true, that Bethlehem will be the birthplace. Then he meets the Magi in secret and asks him to find the baby and report back to him. Although he says he wants to worship them too, his subsequent, subsequent actions show he really wanted to eliminate Jesus. But God intervenes, doesn't he? Not just to protect Jesus, but perhaps the lives of the Magi. And they return home without going through Jerusalem to report back to Herod. And in Matthew 2.11 Joseph is warned to leave Jerusalem, or leave Bethlehem, sorry, because Herod's going to search to kill the child. So we see very clearly now that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus become refugees. The UN definition of a refugee is a person who, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or political opinion, is outside the country of his nationality and is unable to, or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country. So look at that definition. I think Jesus fits it. Joseph and Mary, with the baby Jesus, now embark on a massive journey from Bethlehem to an unnamed place in Egypt. The journey from Bethlehem to to Egyptian-controlled territory outside of Herod's jurisdiction was at least 40 miles just to get inside the border. However, if they were going to go to the capital, Alexandria, it was about 320 miles. A few years ago, my family and I walked across Hadrian's Wall. I think we averaged, because we had a big group of people, um, about 15 miles a day. So if 
you know, roughly, if Mary and Joseph and Jesus were traveling at that pace, they would have been traveling for at least three days, but if they were going to Alexandria, 25 days, with a few rest days. Secondly, Jesus and Mary may have been financially okay when they got to Egypt. Mary, the Magi, had given them quite expensive gifts, you remember? They had gold, myrrh, frankincense. And they might have been able to pay their way. And we know that Joseph was a carpenter, so he possibly could have found work. However, they must have feared being robbed, as they were strangers in this land. They were unknown there. They had no roots, no networks. It would have been on the bottom of the social pile. And if they have the common refugee experience in this country and elsewhere, they won't receive a warm welcome. Instead, they'll be isolated, mocked or harassed, and will be short of friendship and support. One of the interesting things about the refugees I meet is that quite a number have come from really good careers or businesses. Some of them quite middle class, but they've had to flee and have lost absolutely everything. Many are finding it hard now to get on their feet especially if they're older. And that's the focus of my particular work. Once they get status as refugees and are allowed to work, I want to see them access training and employment. But not just that. A number have left their homelands from, because they converted to Christianity. And so I'm looking at ways to disciple these people too with other members of the congregation, which is fantastic. Their worlds have turned upside down. So were Joseph's, Mary's, and Jesus. So what can we learn from Jesus' experience? Well, the first thing is God humbled himself. There was no special treatment for Jesus. It was a tough start to life. And then he grew up in Nazareth, which is a complete backwater in the kingdom of Judea. God chose to live on the margins of society a long way, a long, long way from the center of power and prestige in Jerusalem. He identified with and then elevated those on the margins of Judean society. God's approach was totally subversive and upside down. Such a contrast to Herod, who was so focused on power at any cost. Such a contrast, too, with our world, which values financial security and comfort above all else. To me, this is a challenge, but also an encouragement. The challenge is that we have to question our own motivations and values and assess whether they align with Jesus or actually more perhaps with that rich young ruler that Jesus challenges later in his life. Or indeed, dare I say, Herod. I'm sure that someone in this congregation is facing a hard decision of whether to do what's right in their workplace even if it may prejudice their career prospects or earning power. However, the last thing one wants at the end of life is to find out that they put their ladder up against the wrong wall. The encouragement for me is that Jesus identifies with our pain and struggles. He went through so much, didn't he? As Hebrews says to us in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet 
He did not sin. Let us then approach God's grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has been there before us. So what about the other questions that I raised earlier? As followers of Jesus, how should we think about refugees and how should we respond? Well, I think we need to recognize that because Jesus himself was a refugee, we all need to have empathy towards those who find themselves in this truly unfortunate situation. And this is backed with entreaties throughout Scripture. So if we look at Leviticus, chapter 19, 9 to 10, people are told, don't harvest all the crop, leave a bit for the poor and the foreigner. In Deuteronomy 10, 18, 19, God describes himself as the defender of the fatherless and the widow who loves foreigners, giving them food and clothing. And he says, look, you were foreigners in Egypt. Your history is as refugees. Therefore, you should look after foreigners. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the foreigner. And then we have in Matthew 25, 35. When Jesus is talking about the judgment at the end of time, he welcomes people based on the fact of what they've done for those that are worse off than themselves. What they've done for them, they've done for him. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And then in Hebrews... 13.2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So we see throughout Scripture, we're commanded to look out for, to love the foreigner. In the time of Jesus, the disenfranchised were poor, widowed, imprisoned people, orphaned people, and foreigners. And in our day, I think we would say they're the lonely, they're the elderly, the ex-offenders, the homeless, or the refugees. But I think there's something else that we need to think about when we think about refugees. And that is that they're to be treated equally in a couple of different ways. One of the mistakes I think we've had, certainly when I grew up in Australia, was um, in the 70s, was a policy called multiculturalism. That's where people seem to be given permission to live in another country, but retain totally their own culture and mores without integrating at all. I just think this leads to ghettoization. There's another way that the scripture tells us to handle this in Exodus 12, 48 to 50. And I think there's a key line in this. I'll just read it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. Now I'm not saying everyone should be circumcised. Okay, just to make that clear. But I think the most important bit is this bit, the same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. So in Jewish culture, in that situation, to be integrated, you needed to be circumcised. So we must welcome refugees in here to this country. But there must be one law. There mustn't be Sharia and the UK legal system. We must resist any dual system creating a state within a state. Rather, we should champion integration. 
People should be welcome to keep their language and their heritage, but to take on what it means to be English and become full contributing members to British society. And they mostly want to. And I think we also don't need to apologise for our Christian heritage and dumb it down under pressure from those of no faith or other faiths. In my view, political correctness can go way too far and actually start to eat away at the very positive Judeo-Christian foundational structures of our British democracy. That might sound quite political. I guess it is. But our work, Rosie and my work, and the work of this church is really about welcome and integration. One of the most isolating aspects of living in any country is when you don't speak the language. I can remember many times travelling in trains in India with my last job with Oasis. And I'd be travelling along and I'd be trying to work out which station to get off. And all the signs were in Hindi. It was really, really difficult and quite scary. Um, If I was going to settle in India, I'd be absolutely mad not to learn the local language in order to make life easier for myself and to better understand the people, wouldn't I? So the core of the work that English Plus is doing, that Rosie and other people from the church are involved with, is to help people integrate into the UK through learning functional English and building relationships. And as you know, when we get to meet people and learn from them, our lives are also enriched as well. Our world's expanded and we receive even more than we give. In that way, it's equal, reciprocal hospitality. All right, now I'd like to show you a little bit of a clip, just to remind us how, how really how fortunate Happy we are. Happy birthday to you. Make a wish. Granny. Hello. Have you done your homework? Ready or not? Here it comes. Violent clashes with British. Live ammunition again. Deserve to get shot. Air strikes on rebel position. We are going to stay. Thankfully, no, thankfully, Mary. Um, That's a clip from Save the Children Fund um, and really brings it home because, you know, but for the grace of God, really, go I. As a church, we're already doing a lot to support the work with refugees that Rosie and the church are doing through English Plus. And, um, And then what I'm starting to do in terms of discipleship and helping guys into employment my final thought is that we're doing this for one big key reason. Remember, a teacher of the law challenges Jesus to answer a 
question, which is the greatest commandment? He responds in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like us to stand and pray together. We just read the prayer together on the screen. I'll I'll lead. God of all, where are your children? God, please see and hear your children who are far from home, adrift in an open, overcrowded boat with no compass, no crew, no safety. God of all, why is there crying? Please hear the cries of refugees and help us respond with love to those who escape from journey leads only to a journey into danger. God of all, who is praying? Let us pray for the lives being lost in war, for the families who are broken apart, asking for comfort and justice. God of all, who is answering? Let us see you with the refugees. Let them know your presence. Amen. 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 Please be seated.